Thank you, Brother Joe, for that song. We're looking at Matthew chapter 7 today. I was asked to sing this morning. Someone said, would you sing on a hill far, far, far away? And I said, you mean on a hill far away? No, on a hill far, far away. And I just couldn't find it in the index of the songbook, so I'll not be singing this morning. And all God's people said, amen. I can't carry a tune. I was thinking this morning uh, when uh, Bear got up there as a broken man. And uh, how many times in my life God's had to break me. And uh, we just, uh, I heard Randy's Sunday school lesson. And I just thought this morning about how we all need to be broken and humble. And we're not often that way. And so today I... uh, I don't know, I've, I've studied so many hours and prepare so hard to preach, and it always goes God's direction, and so we'll just trust God today to speak to your hearts, and he's a good God, amen. We're looking at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew, of course, was a publican, a tax collector, and you know that, uh, reviled, hated by the Jews because they no doubt kept money that they had charged people more than they needed to charge. And when he was converted, he totally changed. He was willing to give back money. But he writes a lot about the kingdom. Sixty times you'll find the word kingdom, and I think about 20 times you'll find the word king. And I know we're in a spiritual kingdom now, but one day we're going to have a literal, literal thousand-year millennial reign when Jesus comes back. And so he, he's the complete gospel writer. He really covers everything. He's not chronological like Mark. He's not unique like John. He's not historical like Luke. But it's the complete gospel. He touches on all the different subjects, and it's just a fantastic book. And I'm thankful for the inspired Word of God. We're talking about choices today. Uh, a poet, a British poet, Oxenham, said this, To every man there openeth a highway and a low, and every man decideth the way his soul shall go. And we make a lot of choices. Joshua, of course, you know, said, said the Lord said, Choose this day, Joshua said, Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we'll, we'll serve the Lord. He made a choice. You know, there's really no shortcuts to Christian maturity. I remember as a... Young guy, I thought, well, if I quit, I was a roughneck, you know that. If I quit this and I quit that, I'll be a good Christian. Well, I quit those things, and then God exposed more things I needed to change. And I got to Bible college, I thought, well, if I keep my hair cut and I, I, I you know, dress right and do this and do that right, I'll be a good Christian. And, and I did that, and then I realized there's more things that God needed to change. And, you know, it's never stopped with me. I still realize in my life, God's going to break me and bring me to my knees if I don't learn to just get on my knees on my own, you know. And brokenness is an important thing in our lives. And Matthew was a broken man. He invited all his friends to his house for a banquet so they'd meet Jesus. But he realized what he was without God. He was a thief. And he was not a popular person amongst the Jews. Maybe he was amongst the tax collectors. But here he writes to us, and he shares with us this great, great stuff. And if you have Matthew, we're going to look at Matthew 5, 1, stand, and we'll read this, and then we'll go to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, 
And when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. I love the Sermon on the Mount. He sits down, and he talks, and he talks, and he talks, and of course, he's God. He's the Son of Man, God in the flesh, and this is just awesome. Then after chapter 7, if you will, verse 24, chapter 7 and verse 24, I'll point out in verse 21, He says, but he that doeth the will of my Father. Verse 24, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which buildeth his house upon a rock. So he starts out with the Beatitudes, be this and you'll have the right attitude. And he ends up talking about doing the word. We have to be doers. God knows our heart. I wear a tie every Sunday this morning. I, I didn't put one on. And I thought, well, I better make sure my heart's right because somebody's going to think, what in the world's going on with pastor? He doesn't have a tie on this morning. But God's looking here. and He's looking at your heart, and he knows what you need today. And the Spirit of God will reveal to you what he has for you today. God bless us. Help us to be the right person and do the right things. Help us to just glean from your word today and in our devotions daily things that we need to just be about your business. God, help us to be more like Jesus. And I know it's going to be a process of breaking us, reshaping our lives sometimes, humbling us, pointing out our faults, helping us during those discouraging times in our life, and using us for your honor and glory. And Lord, that's what I want this morning, for this to be your hour, for folks to see you this morning. Blessed now, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. We're looking at several decisions. You know, uh, in verses 13 and 14, we find two ways here. Look what it says. Enter ye in at the straight gate, and that can be translated sometimes in the New Testament, narrow. Enter into the straight gate. And this is an imperative. What that means in the grammar is it's a commandment. He says... Do it. A lot of people don't realize it's a commandment. That's what it is. It's, it, it, it's, it's called here the imperative action. God's demanding we enter the straight gate. Do you know in Acts, he commands everyone everywhere to repent. Not everyone obeys the commandment. Some say, well, they, they weren't predestined to heaven. They were predestined to hell, and I don't buy that at all. I love John said in 1 John 2, 2, he didn't just die for my sins, he died for the sins of the whole world. And he gives us a choice, and there's a lot of choices here in this passage. And he commands us to enter the straight gate, but not everybody does. Some people ignore what he says, and they choose the direction they choose to go. But I like 2 Peter 3, 9, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He doesn't want for you to choose the wide gate, the destructive gate. He wants you to choose the narrow gate. And that's a word that has to do with a narrowing and, and pressure. And, and we know it's hard to choose the narrow gate. Uh, it says here, the broad way leads to destruction. That word, Greek word, is translated waste in Matthew 26, 8. Don't waste your life choosing the wide road. It's the easy road. The road of the world. We're citizens of a different place. We're just pilgrims here. 
Don't, get, don't fall in love with this place. Love not the world. Love the fact that one day we'll be with him. One day we'll be with Jesus. And he says in verse 14, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. I love this. He's the way, he's the truth, is life. And here he says that narrow is the way. And there's a definite article, the way. There's not a way, there's not any way, the way. Jesus Christ said himself, I am the way. There's no other way. You hear this hokey pokey stuff about there's a lot of ways to get to heaven. No, there's not. One way, through that door. You know, when they smote the side posts and smote the head post of the Passover was a type of Jesus. And there was only one way to escape Egypt without losing your firstborn, and that was through that door and through the blood. And we know it's the same way in the New Testament. It's the same way with Jesus Christ and the cross. And I find it interesting, Jesus says in Luke chapter 13, to strive to enter. That's the Greek, Greek word agazani, which is our word agony. Strive. How is it agonizing, pastor, to enter the gate? You say sometimes, Pastor, that the, the, the plan of salvation is simple. God makes it simple. Then why is it agonizing to enter the gate? And that's the problem, I think, in the church today. We have people in the church today that have never really repented. Really repented of their sin. And I, I hope there's no one here like that, but if there were, I'd love you to be saved today. But we have to repent. We have to be broken and realize what we are before we can be born again. And it was agonizing for the rich young ruler when Jesus said, get rid of all your goods. And he wouldn't do it. And there's too, too much of this, you know, stuff today where the prosperity gospel, which is a false gospel, you just pray this little simple prayer and you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture says we have to take up a cross and follow Him. Scripture says it's agonizing. It's difficult to come to the Lord because we have to really turn our lives and everything in our lives over to Him. And not many people do that today. And I fear, I fear that the church today, as the Bible says, has tares amongst the wheat. Wolves amongst the sheep. And we have to examine our hearts and understand. While the gospel is simple to understand, it's difficult to say, God, take my life. Take my life. I'm a rotten sinner. Save me and take everything and use me for your glory. That's why it's difficult. Because we want to hang on. We want to hang on. So we have a choice here. I like what Jeremiah said, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. I was listening to the Colson Center. These guys come on in the morning. I love the little moment they spend. And they said, if you ask the average American, they did a poll, 65% of Americans say they're Christian. Now, I, I use that term loosely. But then he went on to say, but actually only 2% of people are Christians according to God's word, where they've repented of the fact that they were a sinner and trusted Jesus, where they really truly have been born again. Only 2%. What does it tell you about our churches today all across our country? I use the word church loosely as well. But there's people all over this country in church today that don't know the Lord. 
They've never repented. And we, we have to make choices. And it's hard because of pride. Randy's testimony this morning was a blessing. He got baptized the third time. You know, it's hard to humble yourself and say, you know, I've been playing the part. Jesus confronted the Pharisees and called them hypocrites when he was in Sepphoris. And that was a place where there was a big theater. And he and his dad may have helped work in that theater because it was near their hometown. He knew what a play actor was. The word hypocrite means play actor. You know, I tell you, we act really good on Sundays. But what are we like the rest of the week? And so we have two ways here. The, the wide road, all the world offers everything. And we have the narrow road. It's about a, as wide as a door because Jesus is that door. And you have to go through him. It's not a wide door, and I really don't mean physically. But the way is narrow. And it's difficult. Because when, we are, when God demands that we repent... And turn our lives over to him. He means it. He means it. Then we have here two trees. Two trees. He says here in verse 15, beware of false prophets. Now, he's the way. We just learned that. And here he's the opposite of the false prophet. He's the truth. Beware of the false prophets. They come in sheep's clothing and inwardly are ravaging wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. You mean they have fruit? They do. We learn later in the text that their fruit is iniquity. While it appears to be good, it's rotten fruit. And, and I find it interesting because here are several words good, and one has to do with a tree and the other with a fruit. Here's the key. John said in chapter 15, I am the vine and ye are the branches. If you're connected to him, you'll be a fruit-bearing person. Oh, you'll make mistakes. It's not falling. It's the problem when we fall and stay down. We need to get back up when we make mistakes, when we fall. God's a gracious God, a forgiving God. Who was it that said, you know, our sins are in the depths of the sea and there's a no fishing sign? Where did I just hear that? I heard it this morning. I think one of the preachers on TV that I trust was saying that. I thought, isn't that good? No fishing. Our sins are gone. I like that. And it's the idea of, of falling. Yes, we fall, but we have to get up. Here he says, beware. And again, this is a present imperative. And what this means, beware, is stay on guard all the time. Stay on guard all the time because false prophets will creep in and they'll tear the church apart. In verse 16, he says, ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? It's a rhetorical question. And these men are like thorns, and they're not going to have any good fruit. Like verse 17. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. It's very clear. The good tree has good fruit. Now, what is that good fruit? We talk about the fruit of the Spirit, singular, the ninefold, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, self-control. I think I missed one in there. There's nine of them. Read those. That is a result of being connected to the vine. And patience is one of them. And I'm not patient sometimes. And if I'm going to be a fruitful Christian, 
and have the fruit of the Spirit. I can't say, well, I have this fruit, but I don't have this one. No, it's singular, fruit singular, ninefold. And the patience is the crowning achievement in the Christian life. You know, over my years of trying to walk with the Lord, I've been impatient many times. And God's had to expose my stupidity. (laughs) He's had to expose you too, hasn't he? And if not, he will. God is paying attention to how we live our lives. The the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Colossians talks about the fruit of good works. Romans talks about the fruit of souls. Hebrews talks about the fruit of our lips, giving praise and thanks. The fruit of holiness, Romans chapter 6. Are you connected to the vine today? If you're connected to the vine, you will be a fruit-bearing Christian. If you never bear fruit, something's wrong. Some people use God and think they use God, and God's aware of everything. Some people think, I, I need that eternal life insurance policy, so I'll get saved. And they pray a prayer, and they don't mean anything. Moody one time said, when someone gets saved, is it when they get to the altar to pray the prayer? No, he said, it's when they decide in their heart, back in the pew, they're going to follow Jesus, and they come forward, and they confess it with their mouth, but they've already believed it in their heart. A lot of times people want an eternal life insurance policy. I'll get saved so I go to heaven. But boy, I'm not giving this up or that up or this up or that up, and I'm not changing this. I'm not changing that. It always makes me scratch my head and wonder about people. Look at verse 18. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth evil fruit. Every tree that bringeth not good fruit, uh, forth good, fruit is hewn down and cast fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. In verse 20, he says, wherefore by, we just read, wherefore by their fruits ye know them. It takes time sometimes to see fruit. But if you have someone who's False, a false prophet or false teacher come to the church. They're real good at play acting, and you think, man, they're really a great Christian. Next thing you know, they're teaching some false doctrine. You think, wow. All of a sudden, you see what their lives are really like, and think, wow, you know. And the fact of the matter is, if you're not connected to the vine, your fruits are iniquity. That's what the Bible says. We'll, we'll look at that in a moment. So we have here these two trees, good, and we have this evil tree. We have two professions in verses 21 to 23. Not everyone that saith in me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into my kingdom. Oh, boy, a lot of people profess a lot of great things. I've done this for you, Lord, and I've done that. And he says, I never knew you, ye that work iniquity. You see, if you're not saved, all those good works are iniquity. You say, no, they're good. No, they're iniquity according to God's standard because you're not connected to the vine. This is kind of alarming, in that. It, but what does Isaiah say? All your righteousness are as filthy rags. And that same Hebrew word describes the woman's menstrual cycle and, and what they discard from that. Now you say that's disgusting and gross. I understand that. But that's how God views our good works. They're filthy. They're terrible. It ought to be a wake-up call for all of us. 
We profess, people profess, I should say we, but people profess, Lord, I know you. And what does he say? I never knew you. And they say, Pastor, I don't understand that because I thought God knows everything and knows everybody. Well, there's several Greek words translated knowledge in your Bible. Some are, uh, are, some of them are intellectual knowledge. God does know everybody and every sin they've committed. He chooses to forget ours. I love that. But this is a word meaning experiential knowledge. In other words, God says, I never knew you. I never had an experience. You've never experienced me. I've never experienced you. He does not know them in that way. He knows who they are. He knows their sin, and they're going to stand before him in judgment one day. But they've never experienced God. They've never repented. Hey, I I don't care what you've done or what you do. If you haven't repented and experienced the Lord Jesus Christ and that transformation in your life, that metamorphosis, you're going to hell. Doesn't matter what you've done. My father-in-law was a precious guy, and we had a great relationship. Late in life, he said, you know, call me son. He said, son, a lot of things I've done over the years, even as a pastor, I don't know if my motives were right. And I thought as he said that, I think of all the things I've done and not knowing if my motives were right. But if you're lost, everything you've done is void and vain. You understand that. If we're a Christian, at least we can say, God, I confess that. And my motive was wrong. My my idea was wrong. And it was all about me and myself. And I ask you to forgive me for that, God. And I want to now serve you. I, I want to do the right thing. Be controlled by your spirit. And here he talks about the kingdom of heaven. So he talked about him being the way and the truth and certainly refers to the kingdom of heaven has to do with life. We're in a spiritual kingdom now. Luke says the kingdom is within us. Years ago, I was working with a guy. He said, I I see the kingdom of God. I had a vision the other night. And I thought, oh, my word, he's had too much pizza. He had a bad dream. You can't see the kingdom. The spiritual kingdom of heaven... You can't see that. One day, it will be literal. It'll be here on this earth. We're raptured, seven years tribulation. He's going to come down. We're going to come down with him. I love that. We worry about injustice in this world, and we've talked about that. And and I'm one of the world's worst. I want to see justice now. I want to see this guy dealt with and that guy dealt with and this this political person and that political. I want this sin judge, and I want all this immorality dealt with. But boy, I want grace and mercy for me. Uh, it's hypocritical, isn't it? We want mercy and grace. We want people saved. We have to pray for our leader's salvation. I won't dwell there long. People say, preacher, we hear that too much. I understand that. But we are all worried about how we go to church. And we talk about the tabernacle. The outer court, the holy place, and the most holy place. You know, we'll go to church and we'll have the outer court really looking good. I mean, we'll go in that mirror and we'll look in that mirror and I'll look at my dark black hair. And it's not that way anymore. And I want to look good, but what about the most holy place? We need to prepare that as well. And I think about, you know, I'm always concerned about looking good 
and the presence of others and coming across as being a good person. But God knows everything in here. He knows our heart. And I know here it's referencing people who don't know God. But let's make the application today. We're always concerned about how people look. I mean, if I see someone coming to the church and I think they're dressed immodestly and they're showing a little too much, I'm going to have to find a way to talk to them and say, hey, you know, you're distracting. I would hate to have to do that. But you know, it's oftentimes we overlook envy. Huh? Envy. Churches are torn up more about by the inward things. Envy. Lust. Those inward, those thin sins of the heart that we don't deal with. We're all good on the outside. But boy, we better take a look in the mirror of the Word of God. Get some things straightened out on the inside. Because all of us had those inward battles. And I was talking last night at the banquet how the little things that will ruin a marriage, it's usually not the big things, it's the little things. Our crummy attitudes. Our unwillingness to give in. Relationships are broken because of a lot of little things. And if we would get our hearts right, truly right with God, realize what we are and what we should be, we'd have better relationships. But here are people who haven't experienced God, and it says, depart from me, ye that work what? Iniquity. Their righteousness is filthy. And then we have two foundations. I love this. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, verse 24, and doeth them. There's the key. Be, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. I'll liken him, I'll liken him, Unto a wise man which build, buildeth his house upon a rock. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat down that house and it fell for, for it was, it, it fell not for it was founded on the rock. And everyone that heareth these things of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house on the sand. When they build houses, they pour footers, solid concrete to put the blocks down. They don't put them on the sand. They know that's foolish. The word foolish, by the way, is the word moros. We get our word moron from it. Isn't that something? Now, don't go out and call a lost person a moron. But that's the word. That's the word. And he goes on to say, great is the fall of that house. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Psalm 127. But here it says that house that's built on the sand, the winds blow and the storms come, and it's a great fall. And that's the word you also know. It's the Greek word mega. Megas, we get our word mega. People trying to win the mega millions. That guy's got mega bucks. Great is the fall. When you build on anything other than the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're building on a weak foundation. And what you build is going to fall. Look at Luke chapter 648. I love the fact that Jesus was a carpenter. In Luke 648, I'm almost finished. Just bear with me for a few more minutes. Luke 648. Jesus is talking about foundations. It's a parallel passage, but here he says, He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. 
They don't put it on sand. And Jesus says that, being a builder, he knew what he was talking about, and all builders understand this concept. And if you don't build your house in the Lord Jesus Christ, it will fall apart. And go back to our text, and look what it says here in verse 20. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. They were totally shocked at what he had taught. Why? It had gone against everything the Pharisees taught. Oh, they looked so good on the outside, the Pharisees. But they were actually whited sepulchers, Jesus said. Dark on the inside, white on the outside. Listen, religion's never saved anybody unless it's true religion. And true religion is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus told Nicodemus, a very, very good man in the eyes of his peers, in the eyes of, a wor- of the world. Marvel not, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. You must be born again. There's no other way. Nicodemus was embarrassed to come to him by night, but he was under conviction. He, he knew something's wrong, and he came to Jesus and said, how do you do these miracles unless you're from God? He said, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. I love that. You know, when people ask you questions, you know what they want to hear? The gospel. They want to know the answers, and it's our job to tell them. Let's quit playing. Let's quit playing. Let's make choices. Choose the right way. If you're here today and and you've chosen the wide road, today it's not too late for you to say, I'm going to choose the narrow way. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. I'm going to live for him. I need to be born again. I'm going to repent of my sins and just come today and trust God in salvation through Jesus Christ. And if you're building with a wrong foundation... If you're making the wrong choices, it's not too late to say today, I'm going to make the right choice. I wish I could have do-overs. I wish I could go back to high school and make amends for my fighting ways. I wish I could go back over the years of failures in my life. And you know, I've told you so many mistakes I've made, even as a pastor, many times. And get do-overs, but you don't get do-overs. I'm thankful that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. That's that word catheter. All the yuck comes out. I'm thankful for that grace and mercy. I'm thankful for my mother always forgiving me and believing that God was going to use this knucklehead son of hers. I'm thankful for second chances, but folks... I still every day have to make choices, and you have to make choices, and we have to choose the right things, the right way, and have to line up with this book. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for tears today. I, I thank you for brokenness. I pray for Bear today. I pray for everyone here today to realize that without the right foundation, without the right choices, and choosing to repent and go the narrow way. Lord, without the right choices, we can go to hell. And we'll go to hell if we don't choose repentance and faith in Jesus. And without the right choices, a Christian will be empty-handed. 
We'll have broken fellowship with you and you won't hear our prayer and and we'll be out of fellowship and we'll be miserable on the inside. God, help us to get the most holy place in order. Quit worrying so much about the outward. The outward man perishes. It's going to go away. But God, our spirit will be with you. And Lord, I want to make sure today everyone understands the importance of being born again. If there's someone here who's lost, Lord, Today they'll be saved. If there's anyone here that's making bad choices, the altar's open for anything and anyone that needs prayer, I pray you just speak to hearts. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.